Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Wednesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us. A little earlier than normal in tonight, 6 o'clock. Until 8 o'clock and what is an unbelievable next week and a half here in the city of Jacksonville. Of course, you got the Gator Bowl and all the festivities that go along <coughs> with that coming up on Friday. You got the Jaguars traveling to Houston to play the Texans on Sunday, looking to end a nine-game losing streak to the Houston Texans. Nine-game losing streak to the Texans. And, of course, a week from Sunday, you have the AFC South Championship game right here in Jacksonville between the Tennessee Titans and the Jacksonville Jaguars. So we got a lot to get into. We are glad you are with us. We got a lot going on tonight guest-wise. Leon Searcy, you hear him on XL Primetime. You also get him on the fifth quarter with me every Sunday. He joins us weekly here on Hacker After Dark. So we'll have Leon on in about 20 minutes or so as we look back on the Jets, look at what's going on this week with Houston, and start taking a look ahead to Tennessee a week from Sunday. So Leon Searcy is coming up in less than 20 minutes. Coming up in the 7 o'clock hour, my friend Mike Huguenin, longtime college football writer. He's now with On3.com. <coughs> Excuse me. As the college football Playoff is finally here. Michigan TCU on Saturday. You got Georgia going for their second straight national championship against Ohio State on Saturday in the playoffs. So we'll talk with Mike Huguenin about those matchups. We'll look at Florida State as they are in the Cheez-It Bowl in Orlando tomorrow against Oklahoma. And we'll also look at the Gators and the lack of anything involving the transfer portal right now. It's very... uh. I don't know if concerning is the right word yet, but it's got my attention. I mean, they got a lot of guys that are transferring out. They don't seem to be bringing too many guys in via the transfer portal right now. So we'll talk about that with Mike Huguenin, and we'll go out to Houston at the bottom of the 7 o'clock hour. Former Jaguar and former Texan defensive tackle Seth Payne. He's part of Sports Radio 610 out in Houston. We'll talk Jags-Texans. But also, we'll reminisce with Seth Payne about his time here in Jacksonville and get his thoughts on the run the Jaguars are on right now. So we got a lot to do. We're with you till 8 o'clock, Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. To rest guys or to not rest guys? That is the question facing both Jacksonville and Tennessee. And within the last couple of hours, we've gotten some answers to those questions. 
to our folks up in Nashville with the Tennessee Titans. Keep in mind, they play tomorrow night against Dallas. Their life depends on the AFC AFC South Championship game as well. They play on Thursday. Will they sit guys? Will they play guys? Well, their injury report is unbelievable. Tomorrow night, they are going to be without linebacker Dylan Cole, linebacker Zach Cunningham, and linebacker Bud Dupree. They're also going to be without defensive tackle Jeffrey Simmons, defensive back Josh Thompson, quarterback Ryan Tannehill, tackle Nicholas Petit-Ferrer, and you got a couple of doubtfuls in there with Derrick Henry and Kristen Fulton. Basically, Tennessee is sitting out 10 guys, and they have three listed as doubtful, including Derrick Henry. Tennessee's resting players. That's what they're doing. Now, they're banged up, but I, I can't imagine that all these guys under the same scenario next week won't play against Jacksonville. So Mike Vrabel has taken the lead as a head coach and give him credit. He's a former coach of the year. I'm not going to question Mike Vrabel. He knows what's best for his football team. So he's sitting guys. They are resting guys. Anybody with any sort of injury is not going tomorrow night against Dallas. They will go next week more than likely. Most of them will against Jacksonville. You counter that with Doug Peterson here in Jacksonville, who was asked earlier today down at the stadium, would he rest guys this week against the Houston Texans? You said you would rest guys who are injured. Is there anybody who injured, who's injured and falls into that category? Uh, not at this time, no. I think everybody, everybody will be in a position to, to play that can play, yeah. So a different tact by the Jaguars. They're going full steam ahead. They're playing, guys. We'll get to that in a moment. Doug Peterson was also asked, since his football team is so young, would he change his philosophy at all if this was maybe a more veteran football team, a team that had been through a situation like this in the past? Not at all. Um, You know, full steam ahead, you know, um, AFC South opponent, you know, great opponent, you know, again, team that beat us in week five and and, uh, um, just focused on, you um, you know, putting a good week of preparation in. All right, so there's two ways to look at this, right? Do you rest guys or do you play guys? Doug Peterson has chosen the latter. He's going to play guys. I actually agree with that. I agree with that, with the caveat, which I'll give you in a moment. Uh, The Jaguars are red hot right now. Other than Cincinnati and probably Kansas City, there may not be a hotter team in the AFC than the Jacksonville Jaguars. If you rest guys against Houston, do you worry about killing that momentum? Yeah, that would be a concern for me. Now, I know if somebody gets hurt on Sunday, then the conversation will change. But I think that's a chance that Doug Peterson and the staff are willing to take. I agree with their decision to play guys. Here's the caveat. The injury report that came out an hour ago. Trevor Lawrence did not practice again with the toe. That's a normal Wednesday occurrence. Andrew Wingard was limited with a shoulder. Trayvon Walker still limited with the ankle. Foley Fatakasi limited with the ankle. Brandon Sheriff limited 
with the abdomen and the ankle. And long snapper Ross Matissic did not practice with the back. And that's interesting because the Jaguars did sign a long snapper to the practice squad. So that's something to keep in mind there with Ross as the long snapper. The guys on the injury report, those are the ones that I would consider sitting out. Trayvon Walker has not played the last two games. With the injury to Dewan Smoot, you need Walker as close to 100% as possible. I would not play Trayvon Walker against Houston. I would give him the extra week to make sure he is absolutely ready to go for the AFC South Championship game. Foley Fadakasi, same thing. You're down Dewan Smoot on that D-line. I would not play Fadakasi. He's missed the last couple of games. I would give him an extra week to be ready for the AFC South Championship game. The one that I'm still up in the air on is Brandon Sheriff. Brandon Sheriff had an abdomen the last couple of weeks. He's been on the injury report the last couple of weeks. Remember against the Jets game, we thought it was serious when he got his ankle rolled up on. I think he only missed one play. But clearly, a guy like Sheriff, who's 30-plus years of age, one of the veterans on this team, how vital he is with an abdomen, with an ankle, limited in practice today, you would love to give him an extra week to be ready for Jeffrey Simmons more than likely and the Titans in the AFC South Championship game. The caveat to that is, well, if you're going to play Trevor Lawrence, which the Jaguars are, you need your full entire offensive line out there. So if you're going to play Trevor, I don't think you can rest Brandon Sheriff. If you're going to play Trevor, Sheriff needs to be in there. So that's the one issue I have with today's injury report. But I would not play Fadakasi. I would not play Walker. I would give them another week to make sure both guys are ready for Derrick Henry and the Tennessee Titans. The Titans cannot functionally throw the ball down the field. Malik Willis is awful. He's young. He'll get better. But for the here and now, he is awful. And the Titans are sitting Derrick Henry tomorrow night against Dallas. More than likely, he's listed as doubtful. Because Derrick Henry, I would imagine, carries the football 30 times plus against Jacksonville in the AFC South championship game a week from Sunday. So Fadakasi's got to be ready. Trayvon Walker's got to be ready. So those are the two guys that I would sit against Houston. You got to be, you know, the thing with Houston is this. There's no look-ahead factor, right? And I know people say, well, the Jaguars are still alive for a wild card. That's why you don't sit anybody. To me, that's that's not even nearly in my line of thinking. The Jaguars are not going to get a wild card, more than likely. What would have to happen for Jacksonville to get a wild card? Well, first thing, they'd have to lose to the Titans. All right, so at 8-9, and nine, that's the only way the Jaguars would even have to have a wild card is if they lose to Tennessee. At 8-9, and nine, I just don't think you're getting a wild card because Miami would have to lose both of their games. We'd have to see what happens with New England, see what happens with the Jets. There's a lot of things that would have to transpire. The most direct path for you to go to the postseason is to beat Tennessee and win the division. That is where your focus needs to be. And if you're playing your starters because, well, 
we're still in running for a wild card, depending on three or four other variables that need to happen. To me, that's the wrong way to look at it. Also, and I, I hear you on social media, oh, the Jaguars could get in with a tie against Tennessee if they beat Houston. Great. In the 27-year history of the Jacksonville Jaguars, how many ties have they ever had? Bueller? Bueller? Anybody? That'd be zero. 27 years, they've never had a tie. I'm going to assume that they're not going to have a tie next Sunday. So, to me, playing the starters against Houston, with the exception of Walker and Fadakasi, who I would not play, is all about keeping the momentum. Staying hot. You're cooking with gas right now. There is no doubt about it. You're one of the hottest teams in the league. And I agree with Doug Peterson in the stance that if you're playing your starters, it's to keep that going and not be concerned if you sit those guys, will they lose their mojo going into the biggest game any of them have ever had in the National Football League. But it is fascinating, everything that's going to happen over the next 10 days. Of course, the Texans and the Jaguars on Sunday, 1 o'clock, you'll get it right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Looking to end a nine-game losing streak. That's another thing. Nine games. Why have the Jaguars lost to the Texans nine times in a row? You have to go back to opening day 2017. That was the game where Calais Campbell had three sacks in his Jaguar debut. That is the last time Jacksonville has beaten Houston. That needs to change. You need to go to Houston. You need to give them the beating on Sunday. Get to 500, right? Get to 8-8 eight and eight and still feel really good about going into Tennessee. Worst case scenario, aside from injuries, is if you play your starters and you get beat. That would be awful. Because even though you're still alive for the AFC South Championship the following week, if you play your starters and you still lose, well, then I think you do lose some of that mojo as well. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of interesting things, one way or another, are going to come out of this ball game on Sunday in Houston, Texas. Houston is a different team now than when the Jaguars saw them two months ago. There is no Damian Pierce. Remember, Pierce had a big game. That Sunday when the Texans came into Jacksonville and won, he will no longer be there. The Texans are using a lot of two quarterback sets, which is odd in today's NFL, Jeff Driscoll and Davis Mills. But one thing that's clearly different is the Jaguars are in first place. The Jaguars are in first place. How will this team respond to being in first place, playing a game on the road that they're favored in and playing a game on the road that they should clearly win. Doug Peterson earlier today was asked about that, and he said flat out he wants to see how his team responds to being in first place. You want it. You want to see how we're going to respond, and, you know, coaches and players. And, and um, it starts in practice, starts today. You worked hard to get in this position. A lot of ups and downs, but, the you know, you guys have seen the, the sort of the incremental – progress throughout the course of the year and that's why you that's why you play these games and each each game matters and so yeah you 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 want to see you know how the guys will respond in 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 moments like this well we are streaming for your viewing pleasure we're streaming on youtube go to the 1010xl youtube channel you'll see hacker after dark there as you do every night also on twitter at 1010xl twitter you can watch the show there until eight o'clock 
this evening. Again, we'll go to Houston in the 7 o'clock hour. Former Jaguar, former Texan Seth Payne, Sports Radio 610 in Houston. He will join us at the bottom of the 7 o'clock hour. Coming up next, Leon Searcy. He knows a thing or two about being in first place as a player here in Jacksonville. He knows a thing or two about playing in big games. We'll talk to Leon about the Texans, about how Jacksonville got from 3-7 and seven to where we are now, 7-8, and eight, and one home win away next Sunday, a week from Sunday over the Titans, from not only winning the division, but getting a home playoff game, the second home playoff game in the last 23 years. Absolutely incredible. Leon Searcy is next with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you a Wednesday night in Jacksonville, Florida, and we are glad you are with us. Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Now, another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line, brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. And back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Texans, Sunday at 1 o'clock. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Two hours after the game, head coach Dave Campo, Leon Searcy, and yours truly will have the fifth quarter for you out at Perfect Rack Billiards on Edgewood in Murray Hill. Speaking of Leon Searcy, let's talk to the 11-year NFL vet. You hear him every day on XL Primetime, and you get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, how we doing, man? I'm good, bro. Good, good. Leon, what a time to be a Jaguar fan, Jaguar media member, a former Jaguar great such as yourself. I mean, Leon, if you had to summarize the last month for the Jacksonville Jaguars, how would you summarize it? What a run this has been. Oh, man, listen, I, w- I would summarize it like it's, it's been an uphill climb, Hack, you know. I remember where this team was. This team was at one particular point, uh, two and five, and we were looking at the rest of the schedule and saying to ourselves, and I can admit it, I was looking at the schedule like, who are they going to be? They're not going to beat this team. They're not going to beat that team. I said, this team may be lucky if it wins five games. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I'm eating crow because this team grew up. Okay, if you remember when they were on that five-game losing streak, a lot of those losses were self-inflicted, turnovers, penalties, um, a breakdown in coverages, all, all the stupid immature mistakes that a young team makes. And then for whatever reason, this team just stopped making those stupid bonehead mistakes and, and started making plays and started executing and started converting and started scoring. And this is the reason why this team is in the position that they're in. And I remember I saw a couple of Jaguars out and about about a month ago. I mean, well, about a, about a week or two ago. And they had just beat the Dallas Cowboys. And I told them, I said, great win. I said, don't treat this game like, don't treat that game like it was your Super Bowl. And they said, no, sir, we're not. And that's, that's the most refreshing thing about a team that you know that have emerged and grown up that they know they still got work to do, and they do, if they want to get to where they need to go. Leon, to that point, right, it's one thing to correct problems in the offseason. It's one thing to correct them in training camp because you have a lot of time. I mean, the Jaguars have played every week save one for the last four months. There's not a lot of time to correct issues. 
yet clearly from the way this team played at Halloween to the way they're playing now is completely night and day. How does how does something change that drastically this quickly? Coaching. Coaching and and, 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 and teammates internalizing um, and not pointing fingers. Uh, that, that's the key. It's the coaching staff has got to keep the, 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 the team enthralled to the fact that we're going to turn this thing around. It can't be lip service. It's got to be, way, it's got to be how practice is constructed, the point of emphasis is in practice, the film study, all those, those things to play. They, they, they are essential to how you play on Sunday. So you got to take your hat off to the coaching staff because I know there's a lot of teams in the NFL, which I was never on one, but I've, I've had phone calls from guys on other teams that had bad records and they've, they've mailed it in, bro. They've tuned out the coach. They're trying to stay healthy for their offseason. They're thinking about free agency. Those are, those are the kind of conversations that guys on bad teams would have with me when I was playing. So we were on the verge of that as well, but somehow Doug Peterson and his coaching staff kept this team involved. Hey, listen, we're not that far away. We need to make corrections here, 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 and here, and we're going to start winning some freaking games. And that's what happened. They started believing. They started. They, they bought in to the concept of not mistake-free, but don't let it be self-inflicting wounds. They're not making the same bonehead mistakes that they made early on in the season that were costing them games. Former Jacksonville Jaguar Pro Bowl offensive tackle Leon Searcy here with us on Hacker After Dark. Leon, rewind the clock back to 1996, your first year as a Jaguar. A lot of odd things happened that year, Leon, from Vinny Testaverde fumbling the ball in Baltimore to obviously Morton Anderson missing that kick. You go into the playoffs. Clyde Simmons intercepting a shovel pass off of Jim Kelly. Mike Hollis hitting the upright in Buffalo and it bouncing in for the three points. Obviously, what happened at Denver out there at mile high. And, and you look at this team this year, again, a lot of odd things have happened from trailing 27-10 to Dallas to going for two in the win against Baltimore. I mean, compare and contrast, Leon, because to me, it certainly feels a little bit like 1996. Well, heck, I, I, I was saying that uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was saying 96 reboot, the 2.0. Um, I, I think that this team, it, it differs in, in some ways. Uh, we were, I call ourselves, the, we were the land of misfit dolls. Uh, we, were, we were a team that had a bunch of uh, veteran guys from different, different teams and sprinkling a little rookies. I think this team is a lot younger than we were. Um, but we got at some particular point, we got sick of losing and we kind of banded together and just like, Hey, listen, let's not. And a lot of it's is similar to this team. A lot of the losses that we had in 1996 were one score losses. Most of it was self-inflicting. We knew we had talent, but we kept losing games. And at some particular point, we just drew the, our, our, our line in the sand and said, you know what? You know, what would happen if we do this? What would happen if we bond together and, and win a couple of games? And it seems like the same scenario with this team. What if we do this? What if we don't make these mistakes? What if we bond together and let's see what happens? So I would love for it to be uh, 1996 and beyond, um, but it's all in this team's hand. You win, 
you win. So, and you host. I mean, that we, we had to go on the road. They'll be hosting a home playoff game here in Jacksonville when we make the playoffs. So, that'll be big time for the city. Leon, I got to ask you, Jawan Taylor and Walker Whittle, who's in for Cam Robinson, your assessment of the two offensive tackles last week in that win over the Jets? I mean, um, I, 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 first of all, I think that Jawan Taylor did it. Uh, I mean, you could see sometimes in the game that he was grimacing, that the hamstring was giving him a little problem. So the fact that he gutted it out, um, you know, in the rain, in the elements, uh, to help his team out uh, says a lot about him. And Walker Little, you know, outside of that first series uh, where he got beat inside, now it was Shatley false initially, but his man beat him inside as well and sacked from on Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I think that he had an outstanding, he did an outstanding job for the most part. So, I mean, they're going to be essential uh, to, to this run that we're going to make. And um, defense is going to try to attack uh, both of them, you know, Walker Little because of his lack of experience, and then Jawan Taylor because he's ailing a little bit. So, and the protection of Trevor Lawrence is going to be essential. We're going to have make the kind of run that we're trying to make, uh, not only in December but be on on into January. Couple of more for former Jaguar Pro Bowl offensive tackle Leon Searcy. Leon, no NFL regular season game is meaningless, right? There is some merit to this game. If uh, the Jaguars win, it would end a five-year losing streak to the Texans. It would also keep the Jaguars alive for a potential wild card if they were to lose to Tennessee. Also, a win over Houston would then enable a tie against Tennessee to win the division. But clearly, the Tennessee game is where you're going to find out who wins the AFC South. Having said that, as a player, and Doug Peterson's already announced this week that he doesn't plan on resting starters. But as a player, do you approach this game any different? Because they're humans, Leon. In the back of their mind, they know Tennessee is is more important than Houston. No, I, I agree Tennessee is more important than Houston. Um, but the, the, you're on a nice little roll right now. Um, you want to be the hot team going into the playoffs. You don't want to have any kind of letdown uh, going into that uh, Tennessee Titan game. Uh, I would rather the team be on fire uh, going into the Titans game than to have a law in a loss losing to the Texas team. And um, you got to approach this game like um, it's the prequel uh, to the tight to the Titans game. You've got to you've got to approach it like that. Um, you approach it any other way. Uh, that, that's how you get hurt. That's how guys get injured. Um, you've got to play as thorough and as intense and as ferocious as you would play against the Titans with everything on the line. I, I, that's just that's just the player in me. I know a lot of fans don't want guys to get hurt. This is not you don't want to go limping in against the Tennessee Titans. Um, but you you got to play the game of football, um, no matter who who you're up against. So. I would expect Doug Peterson to have a game plan together uh, against this Texan team and, uh, uh, and 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 game plan it like he would game plan against the Titans team. Final moments here with Leon Searcy. Leon, when you talk about this game on Sunday, 
It's an anomaly that the Texans have won nine games in a row, right? For whatever reason, the Jaguars have not beat Houston since opening day 2017. This year's been all about beating streaks, right? Beating the streak in Nashville, beating the streak on the road, beating the streak against the NFC. You would imagine the, the Jaguar organization would love to finally get a W against the Houston Texans. It's about exercising demons. Uh all those things that you just reeled off, I mean, um, it's been a long time coming that we was able to, to finally uh, get over the hump on a lot of those uh, 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 decimal streaks that we've had to endure. So this is just another one. And, you know, I mean, I, I, listen, I said it on XL Primetime, it would, be, it would be even more fitting to have to go through the Texans and the Titans because these, those two teams have uh, – Pass the baton back and forth on how dominant they 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 uh, of a grasp or a hold that they've had over the AFC South. So no better way than for the Jaguars to go have to go through both of them to actually win their first uh, uh, that well their third uh, AFC South tie, title since 2017 and 1999. Hey, Leon, before we get a prediction out of you, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows last week against New York. The Jaguars did lose DeWan Smoot for the year. What does that do to the Jaguar defense? How do they replace him? Well, I mean, you got to get some productivity out of out of Chenault. I mean, he's been a disappointment thus far. I mean, you think about somebody who was as impactful and disruptive of a player at LSU in the SEC, and uh, he's been all of a, of a ghost in the NFL. So, I mean, you, 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 you want, you want to get some productivity out of him. Uh, he's, he's going to have to be essential to the pass rush. And, um, uh, uh, he's going to, have to show up. I mean, if I'm, if I'm a guy on the defense side of the ball and he's putting the, putting in the third down situations, uh, I need, I need full out effort against him. I, I, I really do. Uh, he, he's got to show me something because, uh, as of late, I mean, he's just been a guy who's been just collecting checks. It's a big opportunity for Caleb on chase on. There is no question about that. He's almost kind of a forgotten guy here, and now he has a chance with the injury to Smoot to be a big part of what the Jaguars will do on defense moving forward. All right, Leon, you have made some terrific predictions in the past. You have you, you picked him to beat Dallas, which I couldn't believe. You picked him to beat New York, which you were right on about that as well. What do you think, Sunday, Jaguars and the Texans in Houston? Well, I, I think the Jaguars are going to play. Um, they're going to have a phenomenal game. I think they're going to dominate on offense side and the defense side of the ball. I think they're going to take care of the ball. I think they're going to run the ball. They're going to be effective. Um, and I think the Jaguars are going to win. I think the Jaguars are going to win 24-13. to 13. And if they do, that would exercise the demons. It would get the Jaguars to 8-8, eight and eight, and it would set the table for the AFC South Championship game next Sunday between Jacksonville and Tennessee. Leon Searcy, you get him every day on XL Primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark, and you always get him on the fifth quarter. Leon, I will see you on Sunday evening, and hopefully we will be talking about a Jaguar victory. Thank you, my friend. All right. You got it. Seems like a different, different offense, different team. Um, we're just, like I said, we're just playing so much better right now, and I think that things like that take time. And you've seen the chemistry and everything kind of just come together at the right time. But also, you know, 
personally, you know, I'm, I'm playing better. And like I've, like I've said before, like if, to, in order to win in this league, like your quarterback has to play well. And I didn't play well that day, didn't win the game. And from there on, you know, just as the season's gone on, just learning from my mistakes and offensively learning from things that, that we can do better as a unit. Um, I think every position group is playing better than they were. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Those are the thoughts of Jaguar quarterback Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, you've probably blocked that first Texan game out of your mind. That was week number five. The Jaguars lost that game 13-6. to They got shut out in the second half. They did not score a touchdown. Trevor Lawrence's offensive stats that game, 25 of 47, 286 yards, no touchdowns, two picks. Remember, he had the one pick to Derek Stingley there inside the red zone. That was unbelievable. And you want to talk about how much this Jaguar team has changed? Zay Jones in that game, three catches for 12 yards. Christian Kirk in that game, one catch for 11 yards. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to tell you on Sunday in the rematch, Zay Jones and Christian Kirk combined will have more than four catches for 23 yards. I feel very comfortable in saying that too, that Zay Jones and Christian Kirk will have more than four grabs for 23 yards. You know, everybody in this city, those of you driving on I-95 right now, those of you in the Mandarin area, the beaches, Southside, Arlington, Orange Park, wherever you are, we're all thinking about Westside Denmark. I won't forget you guys. Please. Westside is the best side, absolutely. Everybody is thinking about the Tennessee Titans. You might say that you're not. You are. We're all thinking about the Tennessee Titans and the AFC South Championship game 11 days from right now. But there is business to take care of in Houston. Trevor Lawrence was asked earlier today from a playing perspective if it's tough not to look ahead to that Tennessee game. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, I mean, honestly, the guys have been been great this week. Just haven't, there's not much conversation about next week and, and what's to come and all that. Each week will take care of itself. You know, you got you to gotta take care of business one week at a time. That's that's the message. And, um, I mean, more than anything, regardless of, of you know, who, who we're playing, what game it is, how many games we have left, like like I said, it's an opportunity to keep this momentum that we have. We're playing playing really good team ball. We're playing complimentary, putting together great games. So why would you want to why would you want to jeopardize that at this point in our season and we're kind of hitting our stride like this is just another opportunity to keep doing that and to keep playing great together and um and to get another win so i got a couple of uh texts on the 1010xl text line designed by lifetime enclosures and i i would think that most people listening to hacker after dark right now understand the scenario but for those that don't and i've gotten a couple of texts so i'll go over it Hacker, why is the Texan game meaningless? Well, meaningless is a bad word. It's not meaningless. Potentially, there are wild card issues. I think those are far-fetched. But mathematically, there are wild card issues at play. And yes, if you beat the Texans, then a tie against Tennessee would give you the division. But here is the reason the Houston game doesn't mean as much on the surface as you might think. It's pretty simple, actually. 
The Jaguars are seven and eight. The Titans are seven and eight. Let's even imagine a world where Tennessee wins tomorrow night to go to eight and eight, and the Jaguars lose on Sunday to go to seven and nine. Jacksonville beats Tennessee. Both teams are eight and nine. Jaguars win the tiebreaker because they have two wins over Tennessee. It's really that simple. All right, is that easy enough for you? Tennessee wins tomorrow. Jacksonville loses Sunday. Titans enter the AFC South Championship game at 8-8. Eight eight. Jaguars enter 7-9. Jaguars beat Tennessee. Jaguars go to 8-9. Titans fall to 8-9. Jaguars win the tiebreaker based on both head-to-heads. Okay? Let's imagine both teams lose. Tennessee loses tomorrow. Jacksonville loses on Sunday. Both teams fall to 7-9. Obviously, the team that wins in Week 18 wins the division. One team would be 8-9, and nine, the other would be 7-10. and 10. And if both teams win, Tennessee wins, Jacksonville wins this week. They're both 8-8. Eight and eight. Likewise, Week 18, whoever wins would be 9-8, and eight. whoever loses would be 8-9. and nine. That's really what it boils down to. If both teams lose, they'll have the same record. Obviously, the winner of Week 18 wins the division. If both teams win, they have the same record. Obviously, the winner of Week 18 wins the division. And if Tennessee wins tomorrow and Jacksonville loses on Sunday, that doesn't matter because all Jacksonville needs to do is beat Tennessee, have the same record, 8-9. and nine. Jacksonville wins the tiebreaker with two head-to-head wins. That's why, from an AFC South standpoint, a division championship standpoint, the game on Sunday in Houston does not mean anything. What does mean something, though, is the culture. How many times did we hear that, right? Gus Bradley was going to come in and change the culture. Remember, we believe in getting better. The sign they walked by on the prowl heading out to the stadium. We believe in getting better. Ugh, that was awful. Doug Marone was going to change the culture, and he kind of did to an extent, right? Let's not forget Marone was the head coach when they went to the AFC title game five years ago. Urban Meyer was going to change the culture. Woo! He was going to change the way people thought about football in that locker room. Yeah, I think he did do that, actually. He probably accomplished that goal, but not in the way that everybody thought. So will the culture ever be changed here in Jacksonville? And what does that even mean? Well, Doug Peterson, if you want to know what that means... There's no better proof than this. Trailing by 17 points or more in the history of the Jaguars, they were 1-112 and 112 in their franchise history. Down 17-plus points in a football game. 1-112. and 112. They've won twice this year in the same circumstance. They came back from 17 against Las Vegas and won. They came back from 17 down against Dallas and won. Trevor Lawrence was asked today if you can feel the culture change in the Jaguar locker room this year. It's part of the culture change and just the mindset of this team is, is, has been awesome. It's really been cool to be a part of and just to see that confidence really just build and build every week. And to be a part of it and be in the middle of it, it's been, it's been really cool. And you can feel it, and I'm sure you guys feel it too And when you watch the games. and So, yeah, I mean, I think it's the culture changing. It's playing good ball, it's having having really good players. It's it's all those things. I think guys are playing well at the right time. It's it's all that. 
more on the Jaguars and the Texans coming up at the bottom of the 7 o'clock hour. Former Jaguar, former Texan defensive tackle Seth Payne, Sports Radio 610 in Houston. We will get Seth's thoughts, not only on the Jaguars and the Texans. Keep in mind, Seth Payne played a lot of football in a Jaguar uniform. What does he think about his former team here in Jacksonville and what they're doing on this impromptu run? It's what it is. From three and seven and the season being over, four and eight. I mean, look, four weeks ago, they were four and eight. They just lost by 26 to Detroit. The season was over. Then all of a sudden, you beat Tennessee, you beat Dallas, you beat the Jets. And here we are. So more on the NFL, more on the Jaguars coming up in the 7 o'clock hour. College football, the playoff has arrived. Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, TCU, finally, on Saturday. We'll find out who plays for the national championship a week from Monday. Also, Florida State on the field tomorrow night in Orlando. The world-renowned Cheez-It Bowl in Orlando. And Florida doing absolutely nothing in the transfer portal, which is pretty amazing because they've had like 20 guys enter the portal. They're not getting anybody out of the portal. Uh, They need to start getting people out soon. Like I said, maybe concern is not the word, but I've taken notice of it, particularly when Mike Norvell and Florida State are just cleaning up in the portal again. You know they have transfer portal rankings now on all these recruiting websites? Rivals, 24-7, on three. They got transfer portal rankings. Florida State is number one. Jaheim Bell, the tight end from South Carolina, that guy's a beast. He's going to start for Florida State more than likely next year. Florida State's probably found a couple of starting offensive linemen. They just got a defensive tackle from Western Michigan. Supposed to be one of the best interior defensive linemen in the portal. Once again, Mike Norvell is cleaning up in the portal. What is Billy Napier doing in Gainesville? Well, I'm going to ask Mike Huguenin about that because Gator fans are getting a little restless. Mike Huguenin, a friend from On3.com. He's covered college football for many years. He does a great job. One of my favorite guys to talk college ball with. He is next. It is a Wednesday night on Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. We are at halftime, one hour down, one hour to go with you till 8 o'clock right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Hello. Another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The college football playoff has arrived. Georgia, Ohio State. Michigan and TCU on Saturday. Florida State plays on Thursday night in the Cheez-It Bowl down in Orlando. And the Florida Gators are doing basically nothing right now in the transfer portal. We got a lot to get into with that. Let's go to Orlando. Let's talk to my friend Mike Huguenin on 3.com. Always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Mike, how we doing, man? Doing, uh, Doing quite well. Thanks for having me on. Hey, Mike, always appreciate the conversation Okay, let's talk about Florida first. I'm sure you see the social media and message board reaction just like I do. Graham Mertz does not exactly move the needle. The transfer portal quarterback from Wisconsin. Uh, Florida's not doing very well in the portal, Mike, and they're losing a lot of guys 
to the portal. How would you summarize the last couple of weeks for the Gators? Yeah, I think it's the, the signing early signing period, what they brought in was quite good, um, but they need a heck of a lot more talent, and I thought they'd be more heavily invested in the portal. Now, more guys are going to go into the portal once the bowls are done, but the idea, you're right, the idea that Graham Mertz uh, is your starting quarterback, that does not engender much confidence. I think he's better than he showed at Wisconsin, yet in an offense predicated on the run where you can use play action to your heart's content. Um, Mertz struggled to complete even 60% of his passes, and 60% these days to me is sort of the bottom floor of where you should be as a quarterback in today's college football. Uh, I think the majority of guys, the vast majority of of guys they lost in the portal are not a big deal. Um, Ethan White, though, uh, is a big deal, literally and figuratively. Obviously, he's a huge man, played well in the first season uh, under Napier. The offensive line coaches changed. The the blocking scheme changed. He is a road grader of a run blocker, and given that Napier loves to run the ball, he's seemed a good fit. Now, obviously, he can come back, um, but if he indeed does leave, that, to me, means Florida has lost its best two linemen. Actually, its best three linemen. Because uh, while I think Austin Barber is going to be good, Ethan White was better this year. Torrance obviously was better this year. And I think Richard Garage was better than Barber this year. So that, that's a gigantic hit along the offensive line. And if you compare Florida to Florida State with its portal work, Florida State has blown Florida out of the water. Um, I, I think FSU has brought in three for sure starters in the portal, including an offensive lineman, Jeremiah Byers, who was probably one of the five or six best offensive linemen available. They got Braden Fisk, the defensive tackle from Western Michigan, who I think was one of the three best defensive interior linemen in the portal. And they brought in two tight ends, Jaheim Bell from South Carolina and uh, Kyle Morlock from Division II Shorter. Morlock is an especially intriguing guy, 6'7", 250. And if you're an FSU fan, the idea of 6'7", Kyle Morlock, and 6'7", Johnny Wilson potentially being on the field at the same time next year, especially in the red zone, man, that's, that's a nice thought to have. But I am a little bit surprised Florida has been so reticent to accept commitments out of the portal. Mike Huguenin on 3.com here with us on 1010XL. Mike, on the surface, is Graham Mertz a caretaker till Jaden Rashad is ready? I think so. Again, I am not a big Graham Mertz fan. He was a highly touted recruit out of Kansas, went to Wisconsin, their highest-rated quarterback recruit ever, and he has been not even adequate. Um, you know, he hasn't, ha- he hasn't played in the most stylistic offense, um, that, that's being kind. I mean, that's an offense straight out of 1984. Um, they run the ball, they run the ball, and then they throw short screens or throw to the tight end or occasionally take deep shots off of play action. But Mertz, he struggled, um, even though he had Braylon Allen running behind him. And Braylon Allen is a supremely talented kid. Um, I, my assumption is that Mertz will – he is adaptable. I think he'll take well to different coaching he is a solid guy, extremely well-liked by his teammates. The, the coaching staff liked him as well. Um, 
he took a lot of hits, figuratively and literally. Um, always stood up and accepted blame, and you know never never called out his offensive lineman this year. He could have because that offensive line was really bad this year. But uh, I I don't think he has a very high ceiling. Um, maybe I'm wrong in that regard, but nothing he has shown me in four years at Wisconsin leads me to believe he is anything more than, as you pointed out, a caretaker. So I think if you're Florida, uh, if you're Florida coaches, Florida fans, or players, man, you hope Jaden Rashada gets there in January, quickly learns the offense, and is able to start at some point in the 2023 season because I don't think, again, I don't think this is – I'm not sure Mertz can lead a team – like Florida to even eight wins next year. And Mike, you know this as well as anybody with the work you do and how long you've lived in the state. I mean, Florida fans' expectations are always unrealistic. But after one year, is the fair is the criticism on Billy Napier fair? Is it warranted at this point? I think some of it is. I think the transfer portal work um, has been lackluster. Now, you know, last year they brought in damn good transfers. Torrance, best offensive lineman in the nation, perhaps, or at least the best guard. Ricky Pearsall was a phenomenal addition. Uh, Montreal Johnson, a phenomenal addition. But I, I would argue that they, need, they, they needed more portal guys last year. And I am, again, I am, I said, I think I said I was surprised earlier. I'm stunned that they haven't been busier in the portal this time around. Again, more guys could go in. But if you look over the portal, what's available right now, the defensive linemen help in the portal is, frankly, non-existent. There are some plug-and-play offensive linemen. I don't know if Florida's looking at them. A couple interesting wide receivers and a bunch of DBs. I don't think Florida really wants to bring in DBs. Um, but the offensive linemen, if Ethan White indeed does leave, they better go get one or two. Um, now, granted, the, there's also a portal window that's going to be after spring practice, um, which is when they got Ricky Pearsall last year, and maybe they're counting on you know one or two guys uh, at that time too. But it, it, given what has come out of the portal already, and given Florida's needs at certain positions, I am again stunned that they haven't been more active. A couple of more from Mike Huguenin on three. Dot com. Mike, you mentioned Florida State. They are just cleaning up again in the transfer portal. A lot of their guys have already announced they're coming back for 2023, including quarterback Jordan Travis. And I think Florida State is going to absolutely boat race Oklahoma down in Orlando on Thursday to get their 10th win of the year. Boy, things, uh, things have a way of changing quickly in the world of college football. Six months ago, people thought Florida State was a dumpster fire. Now they're probably going to be preseason top 10 going into next year. Yeah, and I think Jordan Travis's growth, whatever you want, maturation process, whatever, he made gigantic strides this year. And you figure one more offseason of working with Norvell and his staff, working with those receivers, um, yeah, he should be even better next fall. Um, you know, Norvell, ha- on the one hand, you're sort of, Norvell has to be good in the portal because his high school recruiting is relatively lackluster. Now, I know they got five-star Hakeem Williams, and I think he'll be an important part of the team right away. But overall, I would argue that that recruiting class is a little bit disappointing considering how much improvement Florida State showed on the field this year. And my assumption is that the recruiting will pick up next year. But 
he, he and his staff have done, a, again, a phenomenal job in the portal. They did it last year. They've done it again. Um, th- this is a Florida State team getting back to where it thinks it should be. And you look at the ACC next year, and there's no reason to go into next season thinking FSU cannot be a title contender in that league. And you have to be a title contender in your league in order to be a top-ten team, I think. And I think FSU is that. I think there's still some concerns about the overall defensive depth. Um, but adding a guy like Fisk helps up front. I think the secondary needs some help. Um, maybe one or two freshmen can help in that regard in terms of depth. But, yeah, I, this Oklahoma team they're playing in the cheese at Bowl is not good defensively. So if FSU shows up sharp and ready to play, this could be a 40-point outing for the Seminoles. The college football playoff, Mike, has arrived. It took a while to get here, but finally on Saturday, let's begin with Michigan and TCU. Well, I love the way TCU plays. That Max Duggan, he is fun to watch. Certainly, it's going to be an uphill battle for them, but I think a lot of people, Mike, are looking at this like Michigan's going to blow them out. I don't feel that way. I think TCU gives them a ball game. Yeah, I think TCU, I know they lost the Big 12 title game, Um I think if they played that game ten times, they would have won eight of them. Um, but it's a team that has – this is going to sound corny, but it has tremendous belief in itself. And that is a huge, huge thing. I think Dykes has helped. Dykes is a lot different personality-wise than Gary Patterson. I think the players play much looser under Dykes than they did Patterson. They're not always looking over their shoulder or not – they're not getting yelled at on the sideline. And, you know, this is a team that's been down seemingly weekly. Oh, we're down 14. Big deal. And the fourth quarter drive against K-State in the Big 12 title game showed off Max Duggan and his, yeah, again, sounds corny, his grit and moxie, which sounds like I'm talking about a 1950s player. But, you know, Duggan, Duggan's pretty good. Um, Kendra Miller is a stud running back, and Quentin Johnston will be probably the second-best receiver Michigan has gone against this year after only Marvin Harrison. So TCU's got some dudes offensively. Defensively is the concern. Now, obviously, Blake Corm's not playing, which that means Michigan's best player will not see the field in the semifinal. But um, TCU's defense counts heavily on transfers. It's not overly physical um, and not overly fast. So I think – if, let's put it this way, if Michigan at the end of the first quarter has had zero problems running the ball, Michigan's winning. Because TCU has to make them throw and to have any chance at all of pulling the upset. I think TCU's, de- TCU's offense will do its job. I just don't think TCU's defense can hold up. But I agree with you. I think this will be a closer game than people expect, and I think it will be extremely entertaining at least into the fourth quarter. And clearly, outside of Ann Arbor and outside of Fort Worth, the game everybody's talking about is Georgia and Ohio State. Now, it's maybe a little bit of a wounded Ohio State team. They got some injuries. They got a couple of guys that aren't playing to get ready for the draft, which is which is fascinating. But C.J. Stroud is still there and still a very good Ohio State team going up against the defending national champions. On paper, Mike, one of the better semifinal games we've seen. Yeah, and I think the... The Ohio State defense for, heck, 11 weeks, hey, what a, what a great job Jim Knowles has done. This defense is totally different than it was last year, and in comes the Michigan game. You're like, my God, this looks like the exact same defense. 
because Michigan, without Blake Corm, except for two carries, just physically manhandled Ohio State. Now, Knowles has been around for a while. There will be adjustments made for the Georgia offense. Georgia's offense, I think, this year has been sort of overlooked. They're averaging 500 yards a game. Um, Monken's done a phenomenal job with his play calling. Um, you know, the best player on the, the best player on the offense is the tight end, and he uses Bowers in a wide variety of ways. Um, and I think the Georgia offense is is I think Georgia is going to be able to run the ball right down Ohio State's throat, which means Ohio State has to respond. And at one point, the idea was, oh, Travion Henderson will be back. Mayan Williams will be back. Well, Henderson ain't playing. And I guess it was this morning Kevin Wilson, the Ohio State offensive coordinator, said Mayan Williams is day-to-day. We're not sure he's going to play. So if he doesn't play, you're down to your third-string running back and your fourth-string running back. And your fourth-string running back five weeks ago was a backup linebacker, Chip Trainum. So um, the Ohio State passing attack is a good one, obviously. Um, you know, Tennessee's passing attack did nothing against Georgia because the pressure that was put on Hooker. And Hooker is vastly more mobile than C.J. Stroud. And I think the knock on C.J. Stroud is you get in his face and you make him get flustered, and he does not play well. And I think there's some truth to that. So the Ohio State offensive line needs to show up. But, man, if, if, if Chip Trainum starts a running back, which he did against Michigan, Ohio State ain't winning this game. They have no chance to win this game. So – they need Mayan Williams, they need Dallin Hayden, uh, and they need to take some of the pressure off C.J. Stroud because, again, if you get in his face, he, he will throw bad passes. Hey, Mike, as we wrap up, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU, I think almost everybody in the country is picking a Georgia-Michigan final. If there were to be an upset on Saturday, where would it come? I, I, you know, I just finished denigrating Ohio State. I think it would actually be Ohio State because I think their firepower in the passing game um, you know, again, Tennessee got shut down. Tennessee's passing attack is different than Ohio State's. Um, Marvin Harrison will be the best receiver by far. Georgia has seen. Uh, Amika Megwa can play. Um, Julian Fleming can play. And keep an eye on Cade Stover, the tight end. Bowers is getting all the attention as well he should because he's the best tight end in the country. But, man, Stover has really come on. And I think you can do some damage with tight ends against Georgia's linebackers. So that's something to watch. But I, I, I agree. I think it's going to be Georgia-Michigan. But I think Ohio State, especially if Mayan Williams can play, has a chance to pull the, the, the big upset. On3.com has an unbelievable recruiting database. they got great college football content. Mike Huguenin is a big part of what they're doing at on3.com. And he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Mike, have a happy new year, my friend. We'll talk again in 2023. Excellent. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. We can't act like we've arrived, though, because we, we, we still haven't clinched anything. We still haven't made the playoffs. You know, we have two games left to, to continue to prove who we are and to put one foot in front of the next and to just keep stacking these games. So we can't look too far ahead and say this is the team we are now. You know, we have to do it every week. You're only as good as what you can do every Sunday. So, I mean, that's really for us, it's just about being consistent. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL.
Those are the thoughts of Jaguar quarterback Trevor Lawrence earlier today. We have not arrived yet. Have not clinched anything. Oh, that's that's true. You have not clinched anything, and I don't know if they've arrived or not, but they are head and shoulders, they being the Jaguars, head and shoulders better than what they were as recently as a month ago and certainly going back to around Halloween or so. It's a completely different football team with wins over the 10-win Baltimore Ravens, the 11-win Dallas Cowboys, the 7-win Tennessee Titans, and the 7-win New York Jets. Four and one in the last five. Houston on Sunday, Tennessee in the AFC South championship game. Denmark, I guess there was some confusion. Um, What happens if Tennessee does this and Jacksonville does that? And I keep getting texts, right? If Tennessee goes beats Dallas and loses to Jacksonville, or if Jacksonville beats Houston and loses to Tennessee. You can just drive yourself crazy. At the end of the day, here's what you need to know, okay? Whatever scenario you want to play out, however you want to describe it, the only thing that matters for an AFC South championship, the only thing, erase anything else from your mind, The only thing that matters is who wins week 18. Point blank, period. That's what matters. It doesn't matter what happens tomorrow night against Dallas for the Titans. It doesn't matter what happens for the Jaguars against Houston. The Jaguars don't need anybody to lose. The Titans don't need anybody to lose. None of that means a thing. From this point forward, the only thing that matters is who wins the game, week 18, between the Tennessee Titans and the Jacksonville Jaguars. The P word, playoffs. That's right. Because the winner of that game, a week from Sunday here in Jacksonville, the winner will win the AFC South and will be guaranteed at least one home playoff game. If the AFC playoffs, I'll check that. If the NFC playoffs started today, Philadelphia gets the bye. Minnesota would host the Washington Commanders on wildcard weekend. The New York football giants would head to San Francisco. And the Dallas Cowboys would head to Tampa Bay. Again, your NFC playoffs in round one, if the playoffs started right now, Washington at Minnesota, the Giants at the 49ers, Dallas at Tampa Bay, Philadelphia gets the one seed and the bye. In the AFC playoffs, if they started right now, Buffalo is the one seed. They would get the bye. Miami would head to Kansas City. The Los Angeles Chargers would head to Cincinnati. Baltimore would head here to Jacksonville. Obviously, a lot can change. A lot will change. But that's the scenario as of this very moment. And if that is the scenario that plays out, that would be the best-case scenario for the Jaguars. I do not want to play Cincinnati at all. That is a terrible matchup for Jacksonville because Cincinnati likes to throw it all over the lot, and that probably would not bode well for the Jaguars. The perfect case scenario would be if the Chargers and the Bengals play each other because even though 
Jacksonville wiped the floor with the Chargers back in week number three. Clearly, that Charger team is different now than what they were. And I would love to see the Chargers and the Bengals have to play each other and one of them get eliminated. Baltimore is the best matchup for the Jags on Wild Card Weekend because Baltimore doesn't throw it. Baltimore can't throw it. Their leading receiver is Demarcus Robinson. Yeah, that guy, the former Gator. Gator, great. He is. Had the big catch over Kentucky when they should have gotten a delay of game, but I'll take it. Should have, would have, could have. To win the game back, uh, golly, that was... 2014, Yeah, about a decade ago, a long time ago. But Baltimore can't throw the ball. They are the best matchup for Jacksonville wild card weekend. Miami, who knows what's going to happen with Tua. That's a scary situation. In concussion protocol again. You got to wonder if you need to shut him down at this point. Miami, a huge game against New England coming up on Sunday. By the way, the AFC West, right? Remember how great we thought the AFC West was going to be when Nathaniel Hackett's been fired in Denver and Las Vegas just benched Derek Carr today. What a complete failure by the Denver Broncos and the Las Vegas Raiders. To spend all that money in free agency and bringing in veterans, Devontae Adams, Chandler Jones, Russell Wilson, complete and total failure by the Raiders and the Broncos this year. Nate Hackett fired in Denver. Derek Carr benched in Las Vegas. Let's go out to Houston. Seth Payne, Sports Radio, 610. He played here in Jacksonville. He played for the Texans. We'll talk Jags and Texans. I also want to talk to Seth about his time here in Jacksonville. And as a former Jaguar, what he thinks about the run Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson are currently on with this football team. Seth Payne. Next is a Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark rolls on. It's 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us. The Jaguars and the Texans Sunday at 1 o'clock. Of course, you'll hear it right here on 1010XL. Let's go to a man that we always get on when it's Houston week, when the Jaguars and the Texans get together. Seth Payne, a former Jacksonville Jaguar, a former Houston Texan. He does sports radio out in Houston, and he's got a YouTube channel that we will tell you about now as well. Seth, always appreciate the time, man. How are you? Oh, I'm doing as well as I can covering this this horrid football team. Uh, <laughs> so it's been, it's, it's honestly, it's been fun watching the Jaguars. You look at the Texans from afar, and they're battling, man. There is no question about that. Obviously, going in to Nashville and winning last week against Tennessee, I guess the one thing you can say about Houston is they certainly have not mailed it in. No, they haven't. You know, and the, the composition of the team is such that the, look, this was this is a reset of sorts. You might not call it a tank necessarily, but they brought in a lot of veteran free agents who are on one- and two-year deals and guys that you know were brought specifically in to, to be good examples of how to go about your business the right way as the Texans start to cash in some of these draft picks that they finally have. And I think that's, that's why they tend to just gut it out and play hard through the end of the season, despite it being a lost season in a lot of ways. There are young guys that are trying to prove themselves. There are older guys on one-year deals that – they were also, you know, selected to be blue-collar guys. So they are – they're putting in a heroic effort. And yet at the same time, if you're somebody who's fallen in love with Bryce Young, uh, 
they've managed to they've managed to I guess squander the lead on the number one overall pick uh, to where they're now only a half game ahead of Chicago for the number one overall pick. Well, that's what's crazy about Houston, right? I mean, they've lost twelve times, but you come into Jacksonville, you win earlier this year, you tie Indianapolis on opening day, and you go into Nashville last week and you beat the Titans. So from an AFC South point of view with Jacksonville this week and and Indy next week, I mean, Houston could legitimately win three or four games in the division and lose every other game outside the division. That's That's got to be an anomaly. That probably has never happened before in NFL history. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Lovey Smith was talking in the press conference the other day about how you know, they, they could win the division. They could have the division title by going four and two in the division. And and I just thought, man, that's that's a bad look for the AFC South. Don't be saying that because <laughs> it's um, it's whatever weird, whatever weird hold the Texans have over the Jaguars over these past several years, I suppose um, has something to do with it. But, uh, you know, as you know, the, the Jaguars were a much different team at the beginning of the year than they are right now. And whatever the whatever the Texans were hoping to see out of Davis Mills, they have not. Whereas obviously with Trevor Lawrence, he's he's very much starting to look like the the guy that people thought he was going to be before Urban Meyer happened to him. Former Jaguar and former Texan Seth Payne here with us, Sports Radio out in Houston and his YouTube channel. Seth, quickly, man, tell us about the YouTube channel you got going. Oh, okay. So you know, I forever whenever I would try to take other jobs or thought about taking other jobs outside of my radio job. I always felt like I never wanted to, to, to detract from my main employer. So finally, somebody kept telling me to do YouTube, do YouTube. And I realized, okay, well, I'm kind of doing show prep anyway. And just instead of, instead of just doing show prep in the dark, I'm just putting the film that I watch uh, on YouTube and, and talking my way through it. And uh, it's been pretty cool. I started, it's, it's kept me, Actually, maybe a more up to date on other teams around the league because I've started branching out and uh, and and doing various teams. I did discover that uh, when you say anything remotely bad about any Dallas Cowboy, you get so many clicks. So <laughs> I, I might start a whole separate YouTube channel just to throw subtle shade at Cowboys. God forbid you pay a Cowboy a compliment, but don't do it effusively enough. You'll be attacked by ten thousand angry Cowboys fans. No question about that. And, of course, the Jaguars just beat the Cowboys a couple of weeks ago in the midst of what's been an incredible streak here in Jacksonville. Seth, it's an interesting dynamic on Sunday. Like you mentioned, the Jaguars have not beat Houston in five years, which is crazy to think about. But opening day 2017 is the last time Jacksonville won a game against Houston. The Jaguars come in with this game on Sunday. I'm not going to call it meaningless because no regular season game is meaningless, but certainly all eyes are pointing towards the AFC South championship game in week 18 against Tennessee. I mean, what is the thought in Houston? Do they feel like maybe they're getting the Jaguars at a good time on Sunday? Um, I think some people might be thinking that. I like When I look at the Jaguars and I put myself in the position of Doug Peterson or any of the players – you know, they're a different team now than they were at the beginning of the season. And this is not this is not a Jaguars team that has been there and done that and can understand, okay, hey, we're gonna take we're gonna rest a bunch of guys but still go out there and play hard. I think this is a team that very much just needs to keep riding the wave. Uh the Jaguars do. And I I think the Texans will get their best effort. Now Trent Belkey might make some 
some conservative decisions about who plays and who doesn't. But I think you're going to, I think the, the Texans are going to see a Jaguars team that's, that's very motivated to just keep that taste of winning in their mouth. So I think that'll be, that'll be a very good challenge. I think as far as the Texans as a legitimate football team, they, they got physically handled versus the Cowboys and the Chiefs in a lot of ways. The one thing that the Texans were able to do was come up and make some big hits. They, they've been playing really, really nasty, and they've been able to force the ball out because of that. A lot of the turnovers in the last few weeks haven't just been interceptions. They've been hard-hitting tackles that lead to fumbles. And that's more of what we expected to see out of Lovey Smith's defense this year. So that's a huge wild card always, you know, is can can you win the turnover battle? And the Texans just right now uh, are more adept at that. And they also, they've also managed to start generating a pretty good pass rush. One guy to watch out for is uh, Okoronkwo, a kid originally out of the Rams, who has really come into his own this year after, after spending – the first part of his career as a stand-up outside linebacker, he's just playing 4-3 defensive end now, and he's really taken to it. And he's really he's a different guy now than he was earlier in the year. So it's a, it's a much more formidable pass rush than it was back in September. Seth, I want to talk to you about the Jaguars. Again, Seth Payne here with us, former Jaguar and former Texan. Final couple of thoughts on Houston's side of this. Uh, you mentioned Bryce Young and the number one pick in the draft, and that now – is in serious question, particularly if Indianapolis is going to keep playing Nick Foles because I don't know if they can beat anybody uh, with the way Nick Foles looked on Monday night. If they lose out on the number one pick, I mean, is there any chance whatsoever that Davis Mills or Jeff Driscoll would go into next year as as the starter, or are they going to draft a quarterback, whether it's at number one or, or somewhere in the top five? Uh, Jeff Driscoll, there's no chance, and I – I feel bad for Jeff Driscoll. He's the classic guy that was put into a situation that was a, a no-win situation. But, you know, they, they thought of him as the athletic rhythm buster that can come in and run some zone read. And, and you realize after a couple experiments with that that, okay, he's athletic, but he's not NFL athletic. He's not able to beat guys to the sideline. So, I mean, he might be around just because he's a good guy and he can run the scout team well. I think if Davis Mills is the starter, it's going to be – as they wait for a first-round quarterback to take over. Uh, unless, you know, unless Nick Casario, the GM, really doesn't like C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or any of these other guys, I think the, I think they're going to take a quarterback, and, um, and they're going to change offensive coordinators. Pep Hamilton just, uh, just hasn't shown anything at all, and he doesn't have great tools to work with, but the offense consistently goes out there and, has, you know, false start penalties that screw him, just all kinds of sloppiness, no real coherence to the play calling. And, and the offense has gotten worse than last year, which was hard to do, but they figured out a way to do it. So it, if it's not Lovey Smith, it'll definitely, in my mind, be a new offensive coordinator. With Cleveland struggles, right? Don't Doesn't Houston own a couple of their picks this year? I mean, this thing oh, yeah. could turn around pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, how it is in the NFL. I mean, every year there's a team – like the Lions or, well, the, I mean, the ja it's hard. The Jaguars, it's hard to say because you have Trevor Lawrence. So, um, but certainly go from last year to where you're in the playoffs this year. I think it could turn around really quickly. And that's where the, the pressure starts to be on the GM Casario right now because uh, you got to do something. The first round picks this year were kind of disappointing. Kenyon Green, the offensive guard, struggled, was injured a lot. 
Derek Stingley didn't play poorly, but and this is where the Lovey Smith part is interesting. He just you draft a you draft the guy number three overall, and then you sit him back in soft zone coverage, and then you watch Sauce Gardner up in the with the Jets, who's taken one pick after Derek Stingley, uh, be on his way to winning the defensive rookie of the year. So there's gonna be some pressure on Nick Casario to start nailing some of these first round picks. And obviously, you know, a lot of first round picks start off slow and then and then gain steam, but so far it hasn't been a real impressive showing. Final moments here with Seth Payne. Of course, uh, we remember Derek Stingley here in Jacksonville as one of the ridiculous interceptions Trevor Lawrence threw in the first two months of the year. That has not oh, yeah. happened in the last six weeks. Seth, you're still thought around back back here in Jacksonville as a former Jaguar. You were obviously on the 99 team, the best team in Jaguar history. Of course, it did not end well that year against the Titans. And all eyes are pointing towards that game next week, which will be for an AFC South championship here in Jacksonville your thoughts from afar on your former team here in Jacksonville and what they've done over the last six weeks that um it's it's really cool to see any team that struggled uh figure it out midway through the season and and start to click like that and I think you, you never really appreciated I was a classic guy that came into a team a situation that was already really good and you don't quite understand or realize how much fun it is to be on a good team until all of a sudden you go to another expansion team where it doesn't go that well and, and you're miserable. So um, I think the the city of Jacksonville is a very unique place when it comes to pro football and one that people really don't understand. Like I, I spend a lot of time angrily defending um, the Jacksonville Jaguars when it comes to the size of the city and you know, how much, uh, like, what it was like when in that 99 season, you know, one one day I started, I'm driving to work, and I realized they, they painted paw prints on the road there on the, leading up to the stadium, um, and that it really, it becomes a it becomes a special environment. Um, it's really unlike a lot of places in the NFL when, when the team is doing well. There's no doubt about that, and you can imagine the excitement here. Uh, look, you played against a lot of really good quarterbacks during your great career, and Trevor Lawrence, uh, he's turning into a top 10 quarterback in front of our eyes. I mean, the guy's thrown 14 touchdowns and only one pick in the last six weeks. Uh, you could argue he's been a top five quarterback statistically since Halloween. I mean, what's your thoughts on Trevor moving forward? I think that, you know, with, with Trevor Lawrence, there are parts of his game that weren't going to be immediately evident. And, and that happens when you have somebody that's trying to do things the right way. It happens at every position, but I think especially now in the NFL, um, when there are so many incidents, uh, instances of guys who come in and just destroy teams with their legs immediately, that people get impatient expect, and expect everything to happen very, very quickly. I think with Trevor Lawrence, he's, he's really started to display that anticipation and his ability to almost with a sixth sense, understand what the defense is doing. You know, can he, he feels what the defense is doing more so than sees what the defense is doing. And that takes a while for that to really show up, especially when you go through whatever the heck last year was with Urban Meyer. Um, and I, I think the most impressive part of that whole scenario is that as a young quarterback, to navigate those waters where there's severe dysfunction and to come out of it without really, at least from, from what I can tell, from outside looking in, it didn't look like Trevor Lawrence 
suffered at all in terms of his reputation or how he handled all of that. And that's that's a really hard thing to do as a young quarterback. Seth, final question. You were a smart player. Heck, you had to be based on where you went to college. I mean, come on. So my question to you is, if you're a Jaguar player coming into this game, um, you got to know that it doesn't necessarily matter a win or a loss because of Tennessee and a win-or-go-home scenario the next week. Does that change your thought process as a player, or do you try to block that out as much as possible? I think it's it's impossible for it not to try to creep in, and I think that's where vigilance matters some. Because what happens at the end of the year is that oh, you want me to, <laughs> everything. Um, what happens at the end of the year is like you're you're just fatigued. Your body is tired. And, and that's when your mind can become very, very convincing when it comes to uh, giving you excuses for why to take it easy. And, and coaching matters a lot in those instances. Doug Peterson's been through this before, obviously, with teams in the postseason. And, and I think that's where coaching really matters. Um, you know, Kaufman used to just drive this into our heads about the danger of complacency, the danger of not staying vigilant, all of that. And it's one thing to address it academically, but then it's another to really give guys the tools to motivate, uh, to, to, to help them fight through that. And I think just by nature of where the Jaguars are right now, because they, they had to face this uphill battle, I think it's going to be pretty easy to motivate these guys. Um, I, I don't, and I do, think, I do think this is a situation where, hey, they might not have a strict reason to beat the Titans because it doesn't improve their playoff chances at all. But there is, I think, a matter psychologically of whether you want to call it momentum or anything else of just kind of keeping this vibe going and, and keeping that, that, that those good endorphins of winning, getting that taste of winning in your mouth. Former Jaguar and former Texan Seth Payne, Sports Radio 610 in Houston, and check out Seth Payne's YouTube channel as well. Seth, always appreciate the time, man. Thank you. Have a very happy New Year, and if the Jaguars make a deep playoff run, maybe we'll dial your phone back up and uh, maybe work up some 1999 vibes. Uh, hopefully some <laughs> good vibes coming the Jaguars' way. Appreciate you, Seth. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, man. And thank you to Seth Payne, former Texan, former Jaguar. You hear him on Sports Radio 610 out in Houston. And like we mentioned, he's got a brand-new YouTube channel there. Just search Seth Payne on YouTube. Always appreciate his perspective here on Hacker After Dark. Again, the Jaguars and the Texans on Sunday at 1 o'clock. You'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Well, that'll just about do it for a Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Thank you guys for hanging out with us tonight. Got to thank Seth Payne again, Sports Radio 610 in Houston. Thank you to my friend Mike Huguenin on 3.com as the college football playoff on Saturday Michigan TCU, of course, Georgia and Ohio State. Also, Florida State plays tomorrow in Orlando down at the Cheez-It Bowl against Oklahoma. We talked about all of that with Mike Huguenin from On3.com. And in hour number one, my man Leon Searcy. You get him every day on XL Primetime. You get him with me on the fifth quarter, and you get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark as we previewed the Jaguars and the Texans. We will be back tomorrow night, and actually check that. We're going to be back tomorrow afternoon. The schedule is all kinds of interesting this week because of bowl matchups and whatnot, so a special 
Hacker After Dark during the day. Tomorrow, 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. And we hope you join us at that point. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Wednesday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Wednesday, and we will do it all over again on a Thursday beginning tomorrow afternoon at 2 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.